Thank God it's Friday, the 15th of May. Welcome to The Briefing. I'm Tom Tilly. Today on the show, I am joined by Jan Friend. Hello, Jan. Hello. Happy Friday to you. Yeah, happy Friday. There'll be beers in pubs in many states today. That's pretty huge. There will. I'll probably be staying home. Of course you will. (laughs) (laughs) Um, We have a fascinating topic for you later in the show. Do you call out misinformation on social media when you see it, particularly related to COVID conspiracy theories. Yeah, you might have seen more misinformation than ever. And that's a big (laughs) call because there's a lot of misinformation out there on the internet. So what do you do? Do you say something? Do you just close your laptop down and make a sandwich? Scroll on. Scroll on. So many options. That's what we're going to be talking about a little bit later in the show. All right, let's find out what else is going on in the world today. Well, Tom, we always knew the job losses would be bad, and now we know exactly how bad. So the latest unemployment figures show that close to 600,000 people, that's huge, lost their jobs in just one month. Every one of them, devastating for those Australians, for their families, for their communities. A very tough day. That was the Prime Minister, Scott Morrison, speaking after the unemployment rate went up by 1% to 6.2%. That's for April. That's the biggest one-month spike since records began. Now, 6% doesn't sound that bad, but that doesn't include the people who aren't even looking for work anymore. So the easiest way to think about this is that with 600,000 jobs gone, close to one in five Australians have either lost their job or had their hours cut. See, when you put it like that, it's actually very, very stark, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean, we all saw those queues around Centrelink a few months ago. It was so devastating and brought up images of of the depression. Uh, And I think since then we've had these moments of hope where we've done well uh, and had restrictions eased. But but this is like one of the most devastating stories at the core of this whole pandemic. Yeah. And we also know that young people uh, have been hit pretty hard. So the youth unemployment rate has jumped more than 2% uh, to 13.8%, which effectively means that close to one in seven of those aged 15 to 24 years old do not have a job. And of all the jobs that were lost in April, 55% were jobs occupied by women as well. Yeah, so women harder hit than men. Um, Treasurer Josh Frydenberg says it could have been a lot worse. Pretty hard to imagine that if it wasn't for their $130 billion JobKeeper package. Treasury's forecast is still for unemployment to reach around 10%. uh, But importantly, Treasury have also said, but for the JobKeeper program, it would be 15%. And that's really important to understand. Yeah, that was Josh Frydenberg there. And we all know that pubs and clubs and restaurants and businesses are starting to open and people are starting to go back to work. and, And, you know, that's looking positive. But I think we probably do have to expect it to get a little bit worse before it gets better. Uh, We heard uh, Josh Frydenberg there say that the unemployment rate is expected to hit about 10%. These are funny numbers because they were actually predicted, but when you actually see those predictions land, Mm -hmm. yeah, it still really hits you. A 10-day nationwide manhunt is now over after a man wanted over the death of a Melbourne mum, Ellie Price, was arrested in a luxury Sydney penthouse. 33-year-old Ricardo Barbaro was charged with an interstate warrant for murder linked to the 26-year-old's death and extradited from New South Wales. He's expected to face court in Melbourne tomorrow. And the Eurovision finale was meant to be tomorrow night. I'm a huge Eurovision fan, so I'm slightly devastated. Um... The entire event has been cancelled for the first time in 64 years. Goes to show how serious this pandemic is. Rotterdam's Ahoy Arena has actually been turned into a temporary care facility and the Netherlands is unfortunately one of the worst hit countries. 
However, that's the bad news. Okay. There is still something to look forward to. Good. <laughs> I know you're like, when are you going to get to the good news here? <laughs> what could pe- possibly be the good news? You've got a pep in your voice. Well, Eurovision's look, over. <laughs> if you do want to throw a party, a socially distanced but nonetheless very flamboyant party mm-hmm. tomorrow night, you can. Don't break it. That is the woman who would have been our contestant, Montaigne. She'll be part of tomorrow night's Eurovision Big Night In on SBS, which is a virtual song contest, which will still be hosted by Miff Warhurst and Joel Creasy. Yeah, there'll be a, a stack of other competitors, well, past competitors, jumping on board too. So that's Jess Mowboy, Dami Im, uh, and last year's winner, Duncan Lawrence as well. So if you're thinking of having some people over... Probably make sure to check your state's rules first. Do the right thing. Do the right thing. Now, Jan, you've been to Eurovision twice. You went in Ukraine. Yeah, and picked up a nice. You picked up a nice dress in Ukraine. You were wearing that yesterday. Very beautiful. Um, you've been to Portugal for the event. Will this big night in on SBS come close to the real thing? You know what? The saving grace is that Eurovision is actually something made for television. So it looks really, really grand on television. It looks good in real life too. Let's not lie. But the real experience is actually watching it at home, I think. And I've been there. Right. So if it's made for TV, often things that are made for TV look kind of lame when you're there in person. Nah, it, it didn't look lame. I okay. mean, you're still in a huge arena. But you look up and I have never seen so many cameras hanging from the roof in my life. All right. So it, it could be almost as good. It could be almost as good. It could be almost as good. Don't at me if it's not, by the way. <laughs> Today's deep dive briefing topic is, do you or are you calling people out who are spreading corona misinformation on social media? Mm, Are you calling people out or are you just chilling? Just watching and muting. Yeah, just watching. That's not a bad strategy. I mean, the internet has become, it's always been a little bit insane, but I feel Mm. like the insane has been dialed up just a little bit in the midst of this pandemic. Absolutely. And it's even more dangerous now because we're dealing with the pandemic. Yeah, that's right. It has very tangible consequences. Like some of the things I've seen, you know, that, that the rollout of 5G accelerates the spread of coronavirus, that somehow Bill Gates is involved and it's a, uh, you know, vaccination conspiracy, that if you lie in the sun, it can kill coronavirus, um, that if you drink things like bleach, you might be able to cure yourself of coronavirus. One I heard, which was just threw me right off, was that not only was it made in a lab, but that it was part of a chemical warfare plan by China against the US and the coronavirus contained something similar to the phosphorus gas that was used in Syria. I mean, insane stuff. And that came from my mother. Your mum? That came from my mum. So and what did you do? Well, I had to sit down with her and say, mum, I need to know exactly where you got this from. And yeah. she showed me and I and I broke it down for her why it was incorrect and the fact that it was sourced from somewhere that had no... No grounding in any kind of reality, but yeah. Yeah, this kind of stuff is really traveling far and wide on the internet. And there's actually um, research from the Massachusetts Institute of Technology that shows um, fake news travels further and faster than real news. The research found that um, on average, uh, a false story would take 10 hours to reach 1,500 Twitter users, whereas a true story would take six times longer. And that's because those stories are, they're way more exciting. They're novel. Um, they're more sensational. 
Yeah, and I think human beings just have, you know, this tendency to just want to share things that are really kind of outrageous and, and crazy and potentially really negative. And, you know, the tech companies are onto this. So just this week, Twitter, they brought in a new policy where there's, you know, labelling or removing tweets that contain misinformation and particularly focusing on tweets that kind of contradict public health advice. Yeah, but the question is for you personally, what do you do when you see it? Do you jump in and correct misinformation on social media? Or do you just let it fly through to the keeper? (laughs) Let's speak to someone who jumps right in. She corrects misinformation when she sees it on social media. Um, And sometimes it gets really ugly. Well, Sabrina Jouar just joins us now. Sabrina, you were blocked by Pete Evans many, many moons ago, So you've missed most of his recent stuff. (laughs) Oh, well, I I can still see his um, page, not that I actually look at it, but um, I can't comment or... Um, post anything on his page. So a few years ago, um, he posted something about sunscreen um, being toxic and people should avoid using it. And I had just, a friend of mine had just been diagnosed with stage four melanoma cancer. And one of the things that, you know, she kind of pushed was make sure everyone, you know, wears sunscreen. We live in a country with very high levels of skin cancer. I commented and said, look, you know, you're not a doctor. You shouldn't be, you shouldn't be sharing that information. And while you're on the topic of telling people what not to put in their bodies, you should tell your wife to possibly take out the implants she has in her thing. So uh, got a bit personal. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I fought back a little bit, which wasn't my normal, um, but it just infuriated me that he was just, on his high horse. And had a public really... platform and, and sort of sprouting exactly. this kind of stuff. You exactly. said it wasn't your yeah. normal behaviour. What, what What is your kind of modus operandi yeah, how do you engage? when well, you see look, misinformation? I, I, after that, I kind of realised I don't want to be that nasty person on Facebook because once you turn nasty, you kind of lose all credibility. So for me, I just am very firm and I'm, you know, kind of polite. You and know, is this especially with now friends with... or strangers or groups? And what are they They're, posting well, about? Look, I... Some of them are, um, you know, just random posts that I follow pages, but most most of them are friends. And I get a lot of people say to me, why are you still friends with these people? And I just think they need to have someone to educate them sometimes. Like if, you know, we're not born racist, this is learned behavior. And if, if I can change somebody's views, because I've certainly learned from people's posts and change my views on certain things, I think it's beneficial to try to educate people you know when they when I see them posting stuff that is definitely false I will call them out and I just usually will say that's not true why do you take this upon yourself to correct all this misinformation and and how much sort of research do you do to make sure that you are right I read a lot like I try to you know I try to keep myself well informed in what's happening in the world I, I know it can come across as you know, wanting to be right versus, and, I, and I've been proven wrong many times and I'm the first person to put my hand up and say, oh, like I've made a mistake. But, you know, I made a point a long time ago that I'd always stand up for people if, if I could or guide people in the right way if I could. And I feel like with COVID, a lot of the false information, the racist information, I had to stand up. I, I felt like if I hadn't, I'd just be silent in the background, not oh. doing anything. Is it? A, working, and is it B, really worth it for you? I don't care how it makes me feel because at the end of the day, I'm not doing this for me. I'm I'm doing it so that one less person gets abused on the streets or, you know, one less person lies in the sun yeah. because they think that they won't be getting coronavirus. I, I think if I can change one person 
or hopefully open someone's eyes, then it doesn't matter how I feel at the end of the day. I think that's a really positive way to sort of approach it. As long as it's you're okay and you can step away, shut the computer down, make a cup of tea yeah. at the end of the day, you know, <laughs> I think I think it's a good way forward. Thanks so much for talking to yeah, us today. Thanks. My absolute pleasure. Thank you very much. I think that's a reasonable strategy. Really? Yeah, I do. You don't seem to agree. No, I don't. I think she's getting drawn into all these arguments that that won't actually help the situation. And she even admitted there that she's made mistakes and put the wrong information forward sometimes. And I feel like it just creates more problems than it solves. I don't I, I think for a situation like this where somebody could be heeding incorrect medical advice and that can have a really negative effect on their health and their life, I think it is really important that someone at least put forward another argument or put forward another case for the truth so that the general public can see that there's a little bit of debate going on and not just to take someone's word as gospel. I could imagine dropping in a link from a really good source into a thread and just leaving that there. And so people that are going through that thread um, wondering where they stand on the issue will at least have a good source in a conversation that otherwise might be full of nonsense. That's good. But engaging in this back and forth and, and sort of essentially fighting with people online, not only does it come at a real cost to your own mental health, you know, it's just there right there on your phone. You know, it's part of your life. It, it, it sleeps next to you in the, in the bedroom, you know. Um, and, and you don't change people's minds necessarily by arguing with them. See, you don't know how many minds she's changed. There might be people whose minds have been silently changed and maybe they haven't publicly said that. And for her, that seems to be a good enough reason to do what she's doing. I think she's thinking about other people rather than this incessant need to be right online, which I think is rather noble. I think her intentions are good. I think the strategy is not good. It's almost like we need someone with an objective opinion to come into this and decide which one of us is right and which one of us is wrong. Well, what do you know? We've organised <laughs> one. Um, Claire Riley is a tech writer. She works for CNET and she's recently moved from Australia to San Francisco. So, so she's right in the the heart of the tech industry and the social media industry. She understands the platforms as well as the culture of the users. Claire, we've just heard Sabrina's way of dealing with misinformation on social media. She really, really goes there. She really engages in the information wars. What do you make of that strategy? Look, it's an interesting one, but I don't think it can be applied across the board. Uh, Maybe it's a friend who shared something on Facebook and said, you know, I'm starting to see more about this conspiracy going around. What do you guys think? Maybe the best way to tackle that isn't to call her out and shame her on her wall so she looks like an idiot. Maybe you might just approach her in a DM and say, hey, I saw you shared that thing. Here's a bit of info. Here's my two cents. This is probably why it's a bit dangerous to share that idea. If someone's a really staunch crazy, um, then calling them out is a powerful way of, I guess, de-amplifying their message. But the big thing about conspiracy theories is that they thrive on people feeling like they're the victim or that there's a big cover-up, right? So it's not always the best to come with counter-information because someone might have the genuine held belief that, oh, that information's coming from the same source that built this conspiracy theory. So some people just can't be reasonable with and some people can't be argued with. I think in those cases, the best thing to do is maybe just shut your laptop and walk away if it's going to send you crazy. (laughs) Um, But also don't do things like retweeting and saying, this is, this is wrong, you know, or this person's crazy because that original tweet then gets an extra retweet, which to someone seeing that page says, oh, 10,000 retweets. 
all, all of those could be angry retweets, but it sounds like an amplification. So if you really want to quote someone, maybe try a screenshot as a quote tweet rather than directly retweeting. And that's a, a little tip I try to ah, nice tell one. people when they're engaging on Twitter. That's a good hack. I mean, because we know that fake news spreads uh, faster than real news. So what are the tech companies doing in this space to ensure that misinformation is curtailed? Certainly. Well, the likes of Facebook, they're using AI and I guess machine learning to help in the fight. So if you have moderators, there's only so much a human can do, how much content they can look at in a given day. And when you're talking about a video or um, the same piece of content that's being shared widely, it might be a conspiracy video. It might be the video from the Christchurch shooting is another good example. If that's shared, it's often got the same kind of digital fingerprint. It's the same video that's being shared around and around. So Facebook, on its part, can say, all right, well, we can just have a machine, look for that fingerprint, look for sources being uploaded from the same space. And if it's the same content that we're trying to pull down, then we can just do a blanket pull down. Um, you see YouTube, you see other other platforms doing that. Twitter, for example, is starting to choose uh, to label information. So they've just announced that they might, uh, if something's misleading, but it's not necessarily incredibly harmful, then they might label the information but if it's misleading and also incredibly harmful, I don't know, say uh, drinking Dettol will help you cure yourself of coronavirus, that's very dangerous. So they would remove that kind of information under this structure that they've laid out. Some of these people might be forced off these platforms if they are constantly you know, having their tweets deleted. Does it just drive them underground and create new online pockets of misinformation, Claire? Or do you think it, it does overall make a positive impact? These platforms removing really harmful content does push it uh, to a sort of a different corner of the internet, but that's a good thing. Mm. And for someone who is maybe a young teenager and they're only really spending their time on YouTube or TikTok or Instagram, if they can access that misinformation less and less and it becomes harder to seek out, then it's going to become less likely that they come across it in their day-to-day lives. Yeah. Claire, any tips? I recommend a hearty use of the mute mechanism on Twitter. You can still follow them and still read their tweets, but you don't have to see it in your feed all the time. Yeah. Um, you can unfollow but stay friends on Facebook. Claire, always wise, always funny. Great to speak to you. Great to be on, guys. Good to chat. So, Jan, I feel like Claire kind of lent towards my side of the argument. Oh, you thought argument. she was taking your side, did you? Okay. Well, she she talked about some of the, the downsides of engaging with that kind of stuff that, you you know, that shame isn't going to change people's minds. Um that, you know, making these people feel like the victim plays into their theory that the, you know, the mainstream media is corrupting people and that they're they're the outsider, amplifying their views and also outlining what the tech companies are doing. Yeah, look, the only point I will make is that correcting misinformation and putting information out there that is correct and that does come from a credible source I think is really important, but I would also say there is an art to it. Mm. So think before you do it. It's how you do it. Exactly. On the briefing on Monday, would you like to work from home forever? We'll take a look at the future of work. Thank you so much for listening this week. Uh, it's been another fantastic week of the briefing. We'll catch you next week. See you soon. A podcast one production.